First of all, we just got this news from the town of Pittsburgh. More test results came back from testing of the town's water supply, and it's good news. Once again, Pittsburgh officials were able to confirm levels of 1,4-dioxane in the water were extremely low, lower than the point of concern. Officials had gotten concerned about 1,4-dioxane in the water after some test results came back from Burlington last week showing higher-than-expected levels. That was not the case, though, in Pittsburgh. In Chapel Hill, a big drug bust occurred on Monday as authorities have detained two men after witnessing a drug deal in a parking lot near the intersection of Fordham and Sage. Police seized a large amount of cocaine laced with fentanyl. 36-year-old Sergio Aguiar of Winston-Salem and 31-year-old Octavio Lopez of Raleigh both face multiple drug charges. Lopez is also facing child abuse charges because his two young children were on the scene during the alleged drug deal. Officials say the kids were unharmed. They're now with their mother. Staying in crime news, the Orange County Sheriff's Office has announced a big break in a 33-year-old murder case. After years of work, investigators have finally been able to identify the victim using advanced DNA technology. 20-year-old Lisa Coburn Kessler of Georgia was the woman whose body was discovered back in 1990 along I-40 near New Hope Church Road. You can read more about the investigation on our website, Chapelboro.com. Officials are still working now to identify her killer. Turning to state news, another positive development in the fight against COVID-19 as North Carolina last week saw a drop in COVID hospitalizations and COVID particles found in wastewater for the second week in a row. First time we've been able to say that since May. Health experts are still urging everyone to keep taking basic precautions, including staying up to date on your COVID vaccine. Updated boosters are available now. Back in Chapel Hill, UNC Health has announced plans for a new children's hospital to be located somewhere in the Triangle. UNC Health officials are launching the process with a $320 million commitment from the state. The goal is to open that new hospital sometime in the next 8 to 10 years. The first month of this school year has been an eventful one in Chapel Hill, not all for good reasons. There have been two incidents on campus already involving armed individuals. One of them ended in a fatal shooting. The other did not. But both incidents forced UNC to go into extended lockdowns and sent Chapel Hill Carborough City Schools into secure mode for hours. What has that experience been like for K-12 students and teachers? Carolina Connections' Henry Taylor has that story. The first time it happened, August 28th, was the first day of class. The sounds you are hearing now were recorded at Morris Grove Elementary on September 13th, just hours before the second emergency caused the school system to lock their doors once again. We are right next door, right in the backyard of the university, and at the time when there are alerts about a person at large who's armed and dangerous, the truth is nobody knows where this person is. That's Andy Jenks, the chief communications officer of Chapel Hill Carborough City Schools, speaking between the two days. It's a time of great uncertainty thrown on top of a day where you're just getting to know people for the very first time. And so that, that's a tense situation. It's stressful on our staff, on our students, and our families. Morris Grove Elementary Principal Amy Rickard says that after receiving the alert, Morris Grove went into secure mode, meaning all students must remain locked indoors and no one can enter the building. Faculty at Morris Grove did not alert students about the details of the incident and tried to ensure that they were not aware of it. With the younger children, we generally assume that most of them don't know. We always try to leave it up to parents to talk to their children about those kinds of things. 
Rickard says that she was unsure how the community would respond in the following days and weeks after the incident. With this situation, kids didn't really come in and talk about it as much the next day, but we're kind of prepared to either have whole group conversations, small group conversations, individual support, just depending on what children need. Though Rickard says most students were seemingly unaware of the incident, the adults were equally part of the situation. We have a lot of Carolina graduates here on our staff and uh, of course a lot of families who work at the university so I think the adults certainly continuing to feel that. Director of the National Center for School Crisis and Bereavement Dr. David J. Schoenfeld says it is important to consider the long-term effects traumatic incidents such as these have on the community. I think a lot of times people assume that crisis events are singular events, that they occur on a day or they occur at a moment. And that's actually when crisis events start uh, at one point in time, but they do tend to evolve over time. Schoenfeld says that events such as these often trigger old emotions or memories, causing adults to be particularly vulnerable. However, he also stresses the importance of acknowledging the incident with the students, as they, he says, often know more than we believe. I think we have to move away from telling people that they shouldn't be worried or pretending that they're not worried and instead acknowledge that they're worried and help them figure out how to cope with that distress. Jenks agrees. He says that timely and honest information is the most important thing to concerned families during a crisis. Ultimately, we all want the same thing. We want what's best for our students. We want what's best for one another. We want everyone to feel safe and well-informed in a time of crisis. Following the second incident on the 13th, Chapel Hill Carborough Public Schools announced they will offer a safe space for students who wish to express feelings from the event. Families and staff are welcome to read over additional resources for discussing violent events at the CHCCS CARES webpage. In Chapel Hill, I'm Henry Taylor. For Carolina Connection, a student-produced radio newscast from the UNC Hussman School of Journalism and Media that airs Saturday mornings at 8.30 on 97.9 The Hill. In local government, the Chapel Hill Town Council meets tonight at 7. Council members will consider an application for Chapel Hill Crossings, a proposed housing development at the corner of Hughes Street and Old Chapel Hill Road, with about 300 residential units, including apartments for rent and townhomes and cottages for sale. Council will also hear a report on cybersecurity, and they'll vote on a resolution supporting Orange County's hire of a new community engagement consultant for the Green Tract. Get the full agenda online at townofchapelhill.org. In business news, we mentioned yesterday that the Dogwood Restaurant in East 54 was going to be closing at the end of this weekend, along with the Poplar Cafe coffee shop next door. Another Chapel Hill establishment has also announced its impending closure, the Persian Carpet, which is located on 15501, just on the Chapel Hill side of I-40. They're doing a going-out-of-business sale now. And finally, a big welcome home to Frank Rubio, the NASA astronaut who just returned to Earth after spending a record 371 days in orbit. Rubio was one of the astronauts who spoke live with Chapel Hill Carborough City School students in a program earlier this month. Turning now to sports, brought to this hour by CIMG Residential Mortgage. We'll start with basketball because the UNC men's and women's schedules have been finalized as we head into the coming season. We had the non-conference schedules already, and ACC officials released the conference schedules yesterday in a special on the ACC network. Breaking down the schedules for UNC, here's 97.9 The Hills, Brighton McConnell. 
For UNC men's basketball, their first game begins relatively early in the season schedule, December 2nd, as Carolina hosts Florida State. UNC's next conference opponent won't be until they travel to face Pitt on January 2nd, which starts a trio of road games. Clemson and NC State follow that before a return to the Dean Smith Center against Syracuse. The Tigers, Wolfpack, and Orange are three of the six ACC opponents the Tar Heels will play home-and-home series with this year. Florida State, Miami, and, of course, Duke are the other three. Carolina will have their home game first against their arch-rivals this year, with that falling on Saturday, February 3rd. The Blue Devils get the Tar Heels on their senior night, which is Saturday, March 9th. Before that, though, Hubert Davis's team will have a shot at rounding out their tournament resume with a strong home schedule in March. After their lone matchup with Virginia on the road February 24th, Carolina will get a run-up to Duke by facing Miami, NC State, and Notre Dame all in Chapel Hill. Meanwhile, the women's basketball team will start their ACC play with two consecutive home games, as the first falls on New Year's Eve against Clemson, and then their next against Syracuse is on January 4th. Carolina will then hit the road to play the ACC's regular season champions from last year, Notre Dame, on Sunday, January 7th. It's their only scheduled matchup with the Irish this season. The teams Courtney Banghart's program faces twice in conference play are all expected to once again have strong seasons. That would be Virginia Tech, Duke, and NC State. The Wolfpack will face the Heels in Reynolds Coliseum on February 1st, before traveling to Carmichael Arena for a rematch February 22nd. Carolina will first host the Hokies, who are coming off of a Final Four appearance and an ACC tournament title, on February 4th. UNC will then head to Blacksburg on February 25th for the away frame. The rivalry between the Tar Heels and Blue Devils will be renewed during an away game for UNC on February 11th, before Duke travels to Chapel Hill for Carolina's senior night on Sunday, March 3rd. For both Carolina basketball program's full conference schedules, as well as non-conference highlights, head to chapelboro.com. For 97.9 The Hill, I'm Brighton McConnell. UNC wrestling team also dropped its schedule yesterday. They open up on November 2nd with the Carolina Duels against Oregon State, Queens, and Greensboro. You can see that full schedule at GoHeels.com. Elsewhere in sports, UNC's Parker Wolf is your ACC cross-country men's performer of the week after taking second at the Virginia Invitational over the weekend, leading Carolina to a third-place finish as a team. And congrats to Tar Heel football star Spencer Rowland. He just got a big honor for his work in the classroom. He's just been named as a semi-finalist for the Campbell Trophy, which goes to the college football player who best excels in academics and community service and on-field performance, sometimes referred to as the academic Heisman. Past winners of that trophy include Peyton Manning and Tim Tebow. In basketball, ESPN is reporting a blockbuster deal involving a former Tar Heel star. Nasir Little is reportedly heading from the Blazers to the Suns as part of a deal that's sending star guard Damian Lillard from the Blazers to the Bucks. Another local notable is also part of that deal, former Duke star Grayson Allen reportedly heading to the Suns as well.
In government, the General Assembly passed a bill on Friday with some relevance for high school sports, shifting a lot of rulemaking power away from the State High School Athletics Association and over to the State Board of Education. That's not a done deal yet. That bill now heads to Governor Roy Cooper for a signature or veto. And finally, in baseball, the Durham Bulls are halfway to a third straight International League title after rolling over Norfolk 10-5 in Game 1 of a best-of-three series last night. The Bulls can clinch the title tonight. Game 2 is at Norfolk. First pitch is 635.